Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 39 of Swimming Upstream. Super excited for today's show with a great guest. There's been a ton of talk about what the Pensacola Blue Wahoos are doing, everything with Max Meyer, Edward Cabrera at the AAA level. But these guys at the lower levels of the minors are something else, too. And we're going to talk about it today. We're talking about the Beloit Sky Carp. And we have an amazing guest that's coming in to chat with us about it that's been there every step of the way so far this year with Beloit. So uh, here he is, the new voice of the Beloit Sky Carp. It is Larry Larson. So Larry, man, thank you so much for agreeing to join the show. I really, really, and me and Danny as well, who's not here today, but he wanted to let you know as well. We really appreciate it. We got a great interview lined up, but first of all, what's going on? Uh, how's the weather out there? Hopefully it's not as rainy as here in South Florida, but uh, how, how are we doing? I think it's warming up out there, right? Yeah, it's warming up a little bit. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Big fan of what you guys do. Uh, it's a little rainy today, but uh, the temperature has been warming up. And as a result, the bats have been warming up a little bit. You know, our Hispanic players are definitely taking a liking to that. So that's always good to see. But the weather has been pretty miserable for about the first month. Gotcha. Yeah, literally rained here all day in Broward County, Florida yesterday. So at least it's a little better than that. Glad to hear it's not as frigid as it could be and only going to get warmer, hopefully, as we go along here. But yeah, uh, before we get into it, I got a, a fun interview lined up for you. But uh, before we get into it, I just want to get brief background. Uh, we're just getting to know you, of course, through the airwaves and the great work that you've done so far. But uh, brief background, getting started in broadcasting. What did when, Basically, when did you know, a lot of people want to do this, but when did you personally want to know that I want to announce baseball for my career? You know, I'm not entirely sure when it really clicked. Uh, when I said, you know what, I'm going to do play-by-play. I'm going to pursue this. But, I mean, ever since I remember, I was listening to baseball on the radio, watching on TV. I grew up a Cubs fan, so I'd listen to Ron Santo and Pat Hughes on Cubs radio, and that was a ton of fun. And I did that all throughout my childhood. And That was kind of the soundtrack of every summer. There's my email sound. But um, – Eventually, I decided, you know what, I kind of want to do meteorology. I'm interested in weather. Uh, And then I realized even before I got to like eighth grade or something, I'm just not good enough at math or science to do that. So I'm going to work in sports. And so I pursued that track. I didn't do much play by play at all in high school. I participated in what I could and what my high school provided in terms of broadcasting. And then when I got to college, that's really when I started hitting the play-by-play hard, doing a ton of high school sports, doing some college sports. And then really the formative experience for me was collegiate summer ball. A lot of guys will tell you that these days. I broadcasted three seasons for the Rockford Rivets in the Northwoods League. So right down the road from Beloit in my hometown of Rockford. So that was a fantastic experience and definitely wouldn't be at this point and wouldn't have that job or this job without that job. Yeah, so that's a Great track record so far that you have. Um, Woodbat Summer Leagues, those guys, those guys, there's, there's some interesting times, I'm sure. Now, of course, there's the MLB Draft League as well. I was going to ask you this later, but since you mentioned it, I think it's, I think it's a good segue. Uh, Rockford in the Northwoods League, I believe, right? So um, who are the, some, of the, some of the players that you saw go through there? And what ultimately, we see a lot of college players do it. They talk very highly of their experiences there. So what, what do you really think that that experience does now that you're at minor league level? And of course, you've probably followed it closely before now but uh what do you think that experience does for collegiate players heading into the draft and then as they translate to minor league baseball well first some of the players i saw there so i ran into a unique situation in 2020 so i 
broadcasted in 2019, didn't travel with the team, just called home games with another broadcaster. And that was a great learning experience. In 2020, I was set to travel the full schedule, but then COVID happened. Uh, and so it was largely in doubt as to whether or not there would be a season, but they went forward with it. And as you might know, the Cape Cod canceled their season. So basically most of the best collegiate players in the country came to the North, came to the Northwoods league. And so the rivets had a stacked roster. I think we had eight players drafted from that team uh, headlined by Jordan Wicks Cubs first round pick last year. I saw him pitch in South bend when he was pitching against Beloit, we roughed him up. So that was kind of wild. Uh, Carson Seymour, another guy out of Kansas state. Um, Bobby Seymour out of Wake Forest, ACC Player of the Year in 2019. Those are three of the headliners. Saw a lot of other guys, a lot of great players from the University of Illinois. A few guys that got drafted out of there and a few guys that will get drafted this year. But in terms of what it does for experience-wise for these players is it's a day-in, day-out grind. The college baseball schedule is just – weekend focused and you've got a few midweek games here and there but in the northwoods league it's a grind man you can go two weeks in a row without a day off so it feels like a full minor league schedule and even in the minor leagues you don't do that anymore you have a week of games and you've got every monday off in the northwoods league you go you know a week and a half sometimes two weeks without a day off and i think really that's the biggest experience with the northwoods league is kind of getting used to the day in day out grind it feels like the pros in that sense, but also the atmosphere is kind of casual. It's laid back uh, in another sense where you, you bring together kind of a random group of guys from across the country and they make friends with each other. And it's really no secret that they're not really there to win, but they're there to have fun. They're there to work on themselves and it really results in a lot of fun. And so I had a lot of fun when I was there for three years and saw a lot of great baseball. Let's go to the tryout process uh, with Beloit. Uh, the dream job competition, I know they had some kind of symposium. You just told me and confirmed that you went first in the auditions for this. So clearly you made some kind of impression that they didn't forget about. Had some big time names there as well. Rendazzo was there, coach, you know, one of the judges, I think. Uh, other guys as well. So, yeah, I mean, what, what really did you do going first? to stand out and, you know, stand out in the face of your other competition and, and really make yourself known as, Hey, this is the guy for the job. And that was an incredible experience. And I really wish I could tell you what I thought stood out. I meant to record my half inning that I called off the monitor, uh, but I forgot uh, before I started. So I was like, well, shoot, I guess I'll just uh, kind of guess how I did afterwards. Uh, but how it worked was they lined up all seven finalists and they picked me to go first. They told me the night before that I was going to go first. And so they brought me into the broadcast booth. All the judges were sitting in another room in the Beloit Health System suite. And they brought me into the broadcast booth. And so, first of all, that's incredibly nerve wracking because as a broadcaster, it's kind of ignorance is bliss, right? You never know who's listening. Like, you know, some people at least are listening at the very least your parents and the players parents to some extent but here you are you go in the other room and you've got like three major league broadcasters listening including joe davis who i'm a huge fan of and now he calls the world series for fox so it's super ner nerve-wracking knowing that first of all 
Uh, but I went in there. I just told myself to just kind of focus on the fundamentals, uh, set the scene and just try to describe everything really well. And we called, uh, it was the top of the first or bottom of the first inning of game one of the 2016 world series. So that was wild for me as a Cubs fan. I got a weird inning, um, but I, I thought I handled it okay. And I came out of the booth and I thought, you know what? I think I did okay. I don't know if it's good enough to win. The most nerve wracking part was sitting there listening, listening to the other six contestants. So I got to hear every single other one of the guys go, whereas the other contestants couldn't hear me while I was going. So as, as the competition went on, I thought, okay, you know, that guy maybe did better than me, that guy maybe not. Uh, and so that was kind of strange. And then by the end of it, I thought, okay, I don't think I'm going to win. And we go up there and Joe Davis announces, hey, Larry, you've got your first major league, your minor league job, basically. And that was, that was an incredible moment uh, that I won't forget ever. So that was a lot of fun and very unique, to say the least. And I think that's probably the most nerve-wracking thing I'll ever do. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I guess we could say it about any job. Like I told you before that I'm going through it right now with my, with my job, but yeah, I mean, you have those, I, I've been second guessing myself and I'm sure you did it as well. I've been second guessing myself for two days on the answers that I gave. Honestly, I probably didn't do too bad, but is it enough to win? I don't know. So you, everybody goes through it and it's the same in baseball. It's, it's a job, uh, even though it's a dream job for you, it's, it's still a job. So oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, good stuff there. Um, yeah. So you just talked about it. Um, you know, you, you get this job. They announced that, that you're the guy that's, it's going to be you. Um, you not, you said you're, it was an incredible moment for you, but just, if you could put it into perspective, your voice leading this club into basically a new era with a new name at full time in a brand new ballpark, um, for a second year affiliate with Miami Marlins, uh, and a great system. So overall excitement level, I'm sure it was through the roof, but tell us about how you put it into perspective and what you thought. You know, for me, it's really special because I, I grew up in the area and I went to snappers games when I was a kid. I didn't go to a ton of them, but, you know, we'd made the drive up on I-39, you know, 20, 25 minutes to Pullman Field. And we'd watch the snappers, you know, affiliated with the twins or the A's at the time. Um, and so to be a part of this rebrand on the ground floor and really be, in a sense, one of the voices of it. Uh, one of the people that, you know, people associate with the team is really special. I also think it's a big responsibility and me being a good ambassador for the team and being a good ambassador for the community. Um, and it's really exciting to me that this is a group that I'm working with the front office and the ownership group that worked hard, worked really hard to keep baseball in Beloit. Uh, and so that's really special to me to be able to be a part of that. Um, but in terms of, you know, second year affiliation with the Marlins, there's a lot of excitement there because again, the ownership group also owns Pensacola. So they love working with the Marlins and I know they're doing a great job um, up here in Beloit. I've been told by a few people, we've got the best food in the Marlins organization that we feed the players. I've heard that from multiple people and on the player development side. So that's really exciting. Uh, and it's just exciting to be a part of something new that the community is starting to get behind. You know, there's a little hesitation with the name change, definitely. But I think we're starting to get people coming around now, thankfully. And uh, as the summer goes on, that'll continue to happen. 
And I, I've talked to other people about this. It happened here too. Um, I talked to Scott Kornberg from Jacksonville. He said, when we first switched to jumbo shrimp, it was like, Oh my God, they're taking away the history. And, but now they love it. So I think it'll be the same way with you guys for sure. And I, as you can tell, I love the hats. I love the logos. It's all great. So yeah. And the stadium looks amazing. Can't wait to get there, but to close it out on, on this front, I mean, I guess we could probably close it out the interview out after this, but I do want to ask you about the team, <laughs> but this has been awesome so far. Um, yeah, like I said, first year affiliated ball definitely shouldn't be the last for you. Um, you just said that your tryout was announcing a World Series game. Maybe that's going to be your answer. But if you could pick one event or maybe a team that you ultimately want to, to call or take part in in your broadcasting career, what would that be? Oh, man, that's always a tough question. I mean, the goal for me is just to broadcast Major League Baseball, you know, whether that's for a team or for a network, I, I would really love to get to the network level. I think if you ask a lot of young broadcasters, that's a goal. So that's definitely a goal for me. But also, I mean, I just love baseball. So if I would have the chance to be a voice of, the major, of a major league team, that would be incredible. You know, just having the chance to do that for 162 days a year and have a chance to build a relationship with a huge fan base, that would be great because – I know, you know, growing up as a Cubs fan, but also in a market where the Brewers are big and the White Sox are big, you know, every summer I, I'd listen to a ton of White Sox games, a ton of Cubs games. And I, it really felt like I had this, you know, one-way friendship with guys like Pat Hughes, Len Casper, who started with Marlins, Bob Eucher, Jeff Levering, uh, Jason Benetti, even Ed Farmer, Steve Stone, and if I ever got the chance to do that, um, I would hope I would make the most of it and it would be a, a ton of fun and a huge blessing. So Major League Baseball is definitely the goal and we got a long way to go, but hopefully someday we'll get there. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely a great goal. Uh, our buddy Chris from Pensacola, as you probably know, is now calling games for his hometown team with the Diamondbacks. So his career growth, definitely possible for you as well. So uh, I'll get to the club. Um, I got just one overall on this team, and then I'll go to a couple players specific before we close it out with a sure. quick fire. So club as a whole so far this year, man, um, April was rough. Yeah, no, no getting past it. April was pretty rough for you guys. Been been better here mid, late May. has been, been a little better for you guys. You guys have gotten a couple guys from down here in Jupiter go up, um, and then some guys come coming around a little bit as well that started with you guys in Beloit. So um, talk to us about the early months. We talked about the weather before. I'm sure that played a part. Um, but yeah, early months versus now um, differences that you see as a whole for the club. Man, I would say in the early months versus now, the bats are really going. As of right now, Sunday or Saturday, May 21st, over the last six games, we've out hit our opponent or tied our opponent in hits, but we've only won two of those games. So that's really rough, but also that shows that the bats are, are starting to go. Uh, they're starting to hit. Uh, we were last in runs and hits in the Midwest League for a real long time. Um, so that was really tough, but now the bats are finally starting to heat up. And you mentioned the weather. Everybody's got to play in the weather. So I definitely buy that excuse because a lot of these guys haven't ever played in 40-degree weather before. They're from the Dominican, and all they've done is play in Florida, essentially, and then they get called up to Beloit, and they really, really struggle with this weather. But also, everybody else has to play in this weather, and a lot of other teams have the same situation. So 
And that's kind of difficult, but also now that the weather's heating up, you see that the bats are going. So there's that. Uh, the pitching has been up and down. That also started rough. And then there was about a two-week stretch where the starting rotation really, really looked untouchable. They were really, really good. Um, Dax Fulton, M.D. Johnson uh, really started going. Zach King really looked like an ace for the first month of the season. Uh, and now they've started to hit a little bit more of a rough patch just as the offense is going. So it, uh, to put it in a nutshell, I would say just nothing's clicking all at the same time. It's either the pitching's going or the hitting's going. And as a result, there's not a lot of wins. I think our longest win streak is four games. So I think we're due for a long win streak. I think this team is more than capable of being right around 500 because that's what they did last year in Jupiter. Uh, this group that you know, a lot of these guys played with last year went 500. So I don't see a reason that they can't do it here at this level. Um, but I, I think the biggest word that comes to mind when you ask me about the early Beloit sky carp is just inconsistency. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely agree. And you mentioned pitching. Um, I'll get to some player specific questions here. And then, uh, like I said, we'll close it out with, with quick fire, which is just a round of quick, short answer question format. Um, so yeah, the first guy I got is Dax Fulton. You just mentioned him, um, on paper, you know, the regular peripherals 4.54 ERA doesn't look great, but if you look a little deeper, he's got a 2.15 FIP, 12.27 K rate, more limited velo, but be beautiful, beautiful breaking pitches, including that staple pitch, which is 12-6 curveball. Uh, also throws a good slider, mixes in a changeup. So to me, just comparing him to somebody that's within the Marlins organization right now, I think he's like a bigger, better version of Braxton Garrett. So that's kind of where I draw my comparison to a current Marlins prospect. Obviously, you could probably make more comparisons to major leaguers. Maybe you will. But yeah, just some thoughts on, on Daxton. I mean, everybody talks about Uri, who went up to Pensacola, everything there. But this guy followed him right up. He's still with you guys now, but he's been really good outside of that somewhat inflated ERA through no fault of his own. So go ahead. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on, uh, on Dax? Yeah, like you said, it's kind of easy to forget about Dax considering he came up to Beloit with Yuri. But I've been really impressed with Dax. I think he's a great young pitcher. And at the end of the day, I, I think he's got major league stuff. He's run into some bad luck. And I think that's where the not necessarily great ERA comes into play. His last two starts, he's given up a lot of ground balls that have hit the holes, uh, a few errors in the field behind him, resulting in, you know, not so great results. And his last start on Friday night, or, or rather Thursday night, he looked pretty good. He gave up two runs in the first inning and then gave up two runs in the fifth inning, but in the middle, he was just dominant. I would argue that was the best I've seen him pitch this year. He was dialed in. He looked untouchable. Ten strikeouts in just five innings. It ties his career high. Um, that curveball has proved to be a pretty darn good pitch. When he locates that, he can freeze batters with it. He draws a lot of swings and misses, and that's encouraging to see. His command has gotten better and better as the season has gone on as well, just with his other pitches. Haven't seen a lot from the slider with him. Um, he's mainly just focused on the fastball, curveball, changeup mix. And I know that changeup has gotten a lot better because that's something that he's focused on throughout the offseason, developing that pitch. And I think I've read multiple places, you know, if that changeup comes along, that'll solidify him being a starter in the future. 
Um, so I've been impressed with Dax. Definitely better than the numbers indicate, I would say. Uh, and that curveball is definitely all that it's been hyped up to be. Yeah, for sure. Excited about that guy. I mean, I don't pay attention to the ERA with him because I think he's a lot better than what the numbers say, like you said, uh, Larry. So I'll go on. Um, Nassim Nunez. Um, this guy is great defense, fantastic defense, but the offense, not quite there yet. Um, very limited power. Um, I think he needs to, I, I don't think he ever will hit for a good power. Maybe some gap to gap. He definitely has the speed to turn any single into extra bases, which that's probably his future in terms of slugging percentage is legging out doubles. Um, so that's what I would say for him. Definitely needs to hit for average to have a future as a starter in major league baseball. But yeah, I'll get your thoughts on him, Larry. Nassim Nunez, defense speaks for itself, but offense, I don't know. Yeah, the defense, I'll, I'll start there with the positive. I think Nassim is the best shortstop I've watched on a day-in, day-out basis ever in baseball, whether that's you know in the major leagues on TV or in person. He's done some incredible stuff, just absolutely electric, great hand-eye coordination, making plays that other guys don't. He struggled at times a little bit in terms of wild throws to first base, but those are few and far between. Uh, so he's done some Javi Baez-like stuff at, at shortstop, and he's really, really been good there. In terms of hitting, he's been better from the left side than the right side, at least so far this season if you look at the splits. Uh, I think, obviously, you get a bigger sample size if you're a switch hitter from the left side. Um, so maybe that would change if he got a few more at-bats against left-handed pitching. Uh, and, of course, this team's a, a natural right-hander, so who knows? Uh, I'd like to see him hit a few more times from the right side. But again, that sample size has been small. When he's shown flashes, he's a great contact hitter. Uh, and he draws out long at bats. Early in the season, he really struggled. There was a stretch where he went, I think, 0 for 28. He got a hit on opening night and then went 0 for 28 until the next week or so. And that was really tough. But the thing that has stuck out to me all season with Nassim is just his mental makeup. I mean, the guy just does not get frustrated with himself, uh, even though I'm sure he's frustrated with his performance. He doesn't throw stuff in the dugout. He doesn't slam his bat. He's always on to the next thing. He doesn't carry, carry his strikeouts or failures into the field with him, which I can really respect. And I know his teammates respect that about him a lot and really like playing with him. Uh, but in terms of hitting, when he's been going really good, he's shown good gap to gap power. And like you said, he's got enough speed to stretch singles into doubles and doubles into triples. When he hits one into the gap, he's always thinking three. Uh, and he's got probably the best speed on the team. Always a great stolen base threat. Every time he reaches base, he's probably looking to steal. And his at-bats have continued to get better in terms of drawing walks. And he's just a hard guy to pitch to standing at 5'9". He's got a good eye for the zone, but he's also shown a tendency this season to chase high fastballs, which we've seen a lot. And that's the scouting report uh, because guys from opposing teams just pound the upper zone with fastballs. And a lot of the time they'll get him to chase, uh, but also the walk rates going up for Nas. Uh, and I think the bats starting to come along. He's due for a hot streak. That's for sure. And I'm, I'm expecting one, one of these days. And he's starting to get a lot better, but we'll see. Yeah, definitely agreed. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him as a switch hitter. Um, like you said, definitely better from 
the left side so far rather than the right side, but we'll see what happens with him. I don't know. Um, definitely needs to show a better average though. If he's going to have a future uh, as a starter, at least definitely good floor as a defensive replacement kind of guy. Cause he's great on defense that play from the other night where he like ran past the third baseman and caught the ball in like shallow left field. Like you don't see that a lot. Anyway, no. <laughs> uh, next one, Will Banfield. Um, another guy that's been a lot better lately. I will say um, 11 for his last 36. I'm pretty sure is the numbers, which is a three Oh five batting average. Um, the thing with him is that kind of the opposite of not seeing the defense that he's known for. It's been a bit down, um, honestly, in terms of at least in terms of caught stealing. We know about his job as a receiver that pitchers love throwing to him, which is great. But in terms of his arm, which he was really known for in high school, um, he's allowed like at least 20 steals and only caught five guys. So kind of have some questions there. But um, bat coming around, definitely huge for Will Banfield. So um, it started here recently. So um, any differences you've seen in him? And that's definitely huge if you can keep that going. Yeah, in terms of the defense, I think anytime you got Will Banfield behind the plate, you're confident that nothing's getting through him. He's kind of a brick wall. You know, at the start of the season, there were a few balls that got away from him. I'm like, oh, well, this isn't good. Uh, But it's definitely come around, and the blocking is consistent as it always is. In terms of throwing guys out, you know, I haven't noticed any significant decreases in, you know, catching guys stealing. He's, He's still making good throws. But in the Midwest League, it's kind of been a big stolen base league. Like, we're playing the Chiefs right now, and they've got maybe two of the fastest guys in the league in Mason Wynn and Mike Antico. And another thing I'll say about catching guys stealing is this year with the pitch clock, it's a lot harder for pitchers to hold guys on. So I would say take any caught stealing numbers with a slight grain of salt. Granted, that's a number you still want to look at in terms of evaluating catchers defensively, but pitchers are having a harder time holding guys on because they can only throw over to first base or second base or whatever two times. And if they throw the third time, they got to get them out. Otherwise, it's a balk. So you really don't want to take that risk. Um, So guys, especially right-handers, are having a harder time holding guys on at first base. And teams like the Chiefs are really taking advantage Beloit was a little more aggressive with the stolen bases early. They've kind of toned that down over the last two weeks or so. But in terms of the bat, the one thing that I've really noticed with Will over the last two or three week stretch is he is not striking out very often. Early in the season, he was striking out a ton. The strikeout rate has dropped a ton for Will and the power numbers have gone up. A lot of line drives, a lot of balls in play. He A lot of the time when he swings and misses, he takes huge hacks. Uh, and the dude's got a lot of power uh, to both fields, the pull side and the opposite field side. Um, but sometimes uh, I think he swings out of his shorts a little bit, <laughs> so to speak. But the power numbers have gone up. He's starting to run into the baseball a lot more. On the road trip, he had a great road trip. I think he ripped a double in five or six straight games, homered and three of five games or something like that, maybe three of six games. So it's really encouraging to see him starting to hit because I think if he, if he can even hit 250 the rest of his minor league career, he's a big league player just based on how good his bat is and watching him work every day as a catcher. I mean, he works hard behind the plate and pitchers love throwing to him. So I think that's a, that's a guy, if he gets the bat going, continues to get the bat going, to hit for a little more average, not even a ton more average, just over 200, mid-200s. I think he's definitely a big league guy. 
slight, slight follow-up on that. Um, it relates to Bennett Hostetler. So this guy, I know Will's been mostly the regular catcher, but they mix in Hostetler, who is learning how to catch. Um, he never, never did it before this year, actually, um, ex- except for in the developmental camp that they had. That's when he kind of started, yeah. right? Um, he started catching there. And now you have him mixed in with Banfield, and they haven't put Hostetler anywhere else except for DH and catcher. Um, so the bat is like similar production, honestly, I would say, but the thing with Bennett Hostetler is he's older than Will Banfield because he's a college guy. Will Banfield, of course, is a high school guy. So has that been interesting for you to see how they mix them together? Um, is that creating a competition? What, what do you think about with those two guys playing together and sharing that position? You know, I would say those two guys are competitors. They've got definitely a competitor's mindset. And now I haven't really dug too deep into it with either of them but I'm sure they see it as a little bit of a competition, but those two are friendly. And I've asked Bennett about it. And he said, he's learned a lot from Will. So that's, that's an interesting environment, right? You got a guy who's two years older uh, in Bennett Hostetler, who's literally never played catcher before until this season. And then you've got a guy in Will Banfield who's been catching since middle school and he's teaching the 24 year old some stuff. So that's definitely an interesting environment to be in. But in terms of Bennett, he's come a long way with the catching. Uh, I noticed on the roster he's listed as an infielder because, like at least online, because that's where he was last year. That's where he played in college. Um, But you're right. He's been pretty much in the lineup every single day as either a catcher or a DH. But he's been splitting catching time pretty much evenly with Banfield because they're really a big believer in Hostetler's bat, but his offensive production has struggled. It's suffered from him doing the catching. And I think that's just an adjustment of him, you know, taking care of his body as a catcher. I talked to our defensive coach, Chris Briones, a lot about it because Brio, you know, he was a pro catcher and he gets it. So he works with Bennett every single day with the catching drills and, and whatnot. And he said, that's the biggest adjustment. You just can't, go hundred percent every day. Ben is still learning how to play less than a hundred percent because that's kind of how you got to handle it. If you're a catcher, you know, if there's a D- day where you're DHing, you kind of got to take it easy on yourself. And when you're catching even better, you got to kind of slow things down and make sure you're taking care of yourself. So as a result, the offense is, is definitely struggling, but we're still seeing flashes and he's heating up a little bit recently uh, he's had two for four games back to back. So I think he's got well, actually three straight multi-hit games over the last three games. So that's definitely a good flash to see, but you can see the athletic ability behind the plate and you can see why they moved him to catcher. I talked to Patrick Osborne, the, the field coordinator about it yesterday. And he said, you know, you see a guy with that build, that athletic ability, and you think, you know what, let's, let's put him behind the plate because of the system it's so chock full of young infielders at shortstop at third base. And a lot of those shortstops are going to get moved to third base. So you take a college guy like Bennett who can hit really well. And you look at the system's needs catchers who can hit. And so they figured, why not? Let's put Bennett back there. And it's gone. Okay. So far, Uh, I'm sure they'd love to see the offensive numbers go up a little bit, but considering that Hostetler has never caught before in his life, He's done a really good job this year, and I'm really impressed. Next one I got, Cody Morissette. Hits in 10 of his last 11 games, 15 for 41. In that time span, he's got like six doubles and three homers over that same time span too. 
I love this guy's swing. I know a couple of people that I talked to love this guy's swing as well. Good balanced approach. Doesn't strike out a lot. Plays multiple positions. I saw him play here in Jupiter. He's playing third base and he made some of the most ridiculous plays I've ever seen out of a first year uh, affiliated ball player. So I really like this guy, lefty hitter, righty thrower. I always like prospects like that too. So thoughts on Cody Morissette. I think only been positive from him mostly, especially lately. So what do you got on him? Yeah, Cody struggled a little bit out of the gate, just like seemingly every single other hitter on our team. But man, lately, Cody's so much fun to watch. He comes up in big situations and he's come through almost every single time. He's hit, I think, three game tying or go ahead home runs, three out of his five home runs, leads the team in RBIs, and he, he's getting better and better every day. Right away, early in team workouts, you know, I was doing my preseason research on this guy and I look him up and, you know, the height doesn't jump off the page, the weight doesn't jump off the page. But I looked at his power numbers at Boston College and I was like, wow, this guy's got a lot of pop. And then you see him in person and you see why he swings hard, but it just looks easy. Every time he takes BP, Matt Snyder, the hitting coach is always saying easy power. It's easy power. You see him take BPs hitting lasers over the right field fence at ABC supply stadium. And it's not an easy place to hit the ball out. Even in BP, he's a line drive hitter. He can go the opposite way as a lefty. So you can't shift too hard against him. Uh, he's hit the ball a lot to left center field, but he's got legit pull power and he's really finding his own lately, which is encouraging to see because of how much he struggled last year in Jupiter and how much he struggled out of the gate this year. Uh, I think probably a few people were thinking this again, but no, he's, he's adjusted to the high a level with pitching very, very well. And over the last, you know, like you said, six games, he's been our best hitter by far and, a lot of fun to watch. Cody's, I think he's a big league guy. Definitely agreed. Last one and then quick fire. And then we are done on episode 39. Patrick Monteverde, uh, another good lefty, just one pitcher of the week. He had like a seven inning start with four hits, mid nineties fastball with good movement. I saw him pitch down here in camp. He was wiping guys out that are above his level that he's at right now. Isn't afraid to elevate that fastball either. Really good with it. Um, and then changes eye levels with a curveball. Another good curveball that's in this Beloit system. Um, I like the velo separation. He throws that curveball like down low, like low 80s, high 70s. And then the fastball, I think he can get up to like 93, 94, maybe slightly ticking higher. Um, so yeah, this guy has just one start in which he allowed more than two runs, limiting opponents to 206 batting average. Eighth round pick, holding down a 2.32 ERA. Don't think you could ask for much more. Only thing with him, I would say, is maybe a few too many walks, um, 9.4% walk rate. He is 24, so getting slightly older for the single-A advanced level, but still okay. Um, my question for you on him is what you've seen. Do you think his stuff plays? I know he's just now starting to get going deeper into games, including that seven-inning start. I think most of his starts have been like four innings or something like that. So do you think his stuff plays to higher levels as a starter, or do you think it's more bullpen? What, what do you see in this guy? You know, in terms – you brought up the – Changing eye level and changing velocity. And that's the biggest thing that jumps out with Pat to me. And that's why I think he can be a starter. You bring a guy like that out of the bullpen. Sure, he's a lefty. His fastball doesn't really play up. And he's effective when he uses his whole repertoire, that four-pitch mix of fastball, changeup, slider, curveball. Uh, I think he can be a back-end starter for sure. He's a competitor. 
Um, the walk rate, like you said, was a big problem early on. It's dropped over the last few starts, and he has a capacity to get out of jams. When he gets himself in a jam, I've seen him time and time again, a few times this year, strand the bases loaded, strand runners on second and third base, which is always great to see. And overall, he's just a competitor, man. He's a hard-nosed pitcher, not the biggest frame, but he brings a lot for a pretty small frame. A little bit on the older side, and honestly, you look at our starting rotation, and it's it's very old. You've got like MD Johnson, who's too old for the level, I think. Uh, Zach King. Uh, too old for the level. Those two guys are probably just waiting on when they're going to get called up if they keep pitching how they are. But Pat, you know, starting to be another one of those guys. He's top 10 in the league in ERA. And what we've seen from him over his last two starts is really impressive. I think the Marlins have been very careful with his arm a little bit, you know, limiting him, not really stretching him out. But when he has been stretched out, he's managed the game very well. And uh, you mentioned that last start pitcher of the week, um, or at least his start before his last start um, when he went seven shutout innings at West Michigan. That's an offense that leads the league in runs scored. They've got a lot of great young prospects. So they're tough to pitch against. And then his last outing, he continued it against Peoria. So, and he's another guy who's gotten a lot of bad luck. I mean, not a lot of run support, a few errors in the field behind him that have extended innings. So that always makes it tough, and he's he's been frustrated out there. He's easy to read. Um, he gets frustrated on the mound because he's such a competitor. He wants to win, and that's something that I can appreciate about a guy like that. Gotcha. Well, that's all I got for you in terms of full-length questions. I was going to throw in one about Kyler Castillo, but he just got called up, so you don't know him yet. But he does lead the organization in WRC+, Plus, so got to keep an eye on for you. I'm sure you already are. But, yeah, oh. that's all we got for full-length. Um, I have a handful of quick uh, short question and answer format questions and then we'll get out. We know you have a game to get to uh, today, actually. So uh, here we go. I'll just start it off. Just a handful right here. The first one is we mentioned a couple guys already with Davis Rindazzo guys that you were around when you were going for the job, but ultimate and biggest influence for you uh, and your broadcasting mentor, I guess I should say in your career so far. Broadcasting mentor, uh, I would say the, the guy that's been the biggest influence, I've never you know emailed him or talked to him, is Pat Hughes, but also biggest mentor is a guy named Connor Onion, um, broadcast a lot of college sports up here, and then also Jason Benetti has been a big help, help recently. Got you. Second thing, we mentioned the meals that the players have, but I'm sure, I'm sure you've gotten your chance to sample the fair at uh, the stadium fair, I should say, at ABC Supply Stadium. So for people like me who are planning on eventually visiting the park, definitely want to get there as soon as I can. Best thing to eat at ABC Supply Stadium is? The brachos. Delicious. Got you. I had nachos at the shrimp game because Scott wanted me to try them and they were amazing as well. So I never say no to nachos. Anyways, um, you grew up in Beloit. Uh, you mentioned that to us or in the area, at least near, near Beloit or not far away. Other than baseball games and going to all the games that you have, probably within driving distance in that area, different teams, other than baseball, what's the best thing to do or see in Beloit, Wisconsin? Beloit, Wisconsin, I would say that Saturday farmer's market is a lot of fun. A lot of good food there. A lot of good cheese, especially if you like cheese, you got to go to the Beloit farmer's market. (laughs) Gotcha. Sounds good. I'll keep it in mind. And then uh, second to last one Uh, so far, your, it could be in the Northwoods league. It could be now. 
your moment that you looked at or experience that you had and you just looked at it and said, man, that's that's minor league baseball. That's working in minor league baseball. It could be something from a bus ride, something that you saw a play, whatever it may be. Give us give us a story real quick. Oh, man. Well, there are two that come to mind. I'll start with the less funny one. Uh, on our first road trip this year, uh, we had to stop in the middle of nowhere, Iowa, because the radiator hose on one of our buses uh, popped off. So we had to stop at a, a gas station that was very much closed and abandoned, and everybody had to hop on one bus, and that was hilarious. My second one and probably biggest one, when I was working with the Rivets last year, there was a big storm coming in. We go to put the tarp on. We didn't get the tarp on on time. The wind picked up the tarp and blew it into the stands. It was incredible. It was hilarious because nobody got hurt. And it was just the most insane thing I've ever seen in a baseball game. It was, it was crazy. I think that beats mine. I mean, mine, mine are back in, I think, 20, 2018, I believe, the, the Hammerheads had the All-Star game here. And the, the GM of the stadium at the time, this guy, Jamie Toole, he went to flicker the lights after a home run and put out all the lights in the entire stadium. And there was like an hour and a half delay. <laughs> <laughs> then there was Cam Barstad hitting the fire alarm. Uh, that as well the whole stadium cleared out here in jupiter but yeah i think you i think you won i think yours are definitely better anyways oh, good man. times and we got a lot of those moments that's what makes it so fun to as you work in this field and me cover baseball in this field there's never a dull moment all right never never ever i got a last one for you larry and uh this is gonna be it um yeah let, let's make a crazy projection right for you're getting to know the marlin system i'm sure you know the major leagues right now i'm sure you're following long box scores and stuff like that as well so Let's talk about this. This is a big topic for Marlins fans. I'll leave it to a fill in the blank. The next time the Marlins make the playoffs is in this year blank and blank will be their team MVP. Hmm. Oh man. I think the next time the Marlins make the playoffs, I got to have a short answer here. I'm going to go 2024. A little further out than most fans would like to hear. I think Max Meyer is going to be the team MVP. I'm, I'm really liking what I've heard and seen of Max Meyer. And so I'm really excited to see him pitch at the big league level eventually, one of these days, hopefully. I was actually going to give the same exact answer, so I can't rebuttal you, but it was a great <laughs> answer. So, yeah, 2024 Max Meyer, that's exactly what I had. So, all right, I think we agree. Uh, by 2024, Max Meyer is going to be an ace. He's going to be the team MVP. And he's going to get over this injury, whatever he has going on right now with his ulnar nerve. And hopefully that's a short time on, on the seven-day IL that he's on right now. Gets called up this year. Definitely has a spot right now. We all know that. And by 2024, he's a team MVP. You heard it here first from me and Larry. So there you go. Yes, sir. That'll do it. That's episode 39 of Swimming Upstream. I think we covered pretty much every or close to every major topic. Uh, in the time frame that we had about Larry's team that he covers and, of course, does the broadcast for the Beloit Skycarp, you can catch Larry on local radio, of course, in Beloit. And, of course, on MILB.TV, where I cover all of my minor league action. So please tune in to Larry. He's great. He's done great work. So, man, Larry, it's been awesome to meet you. I thank you so much for your time and doing this before a game today. I know it's late in your week. I know you're, you're waiting for that Monday off day. So I'll let you get out of here. And um, thank you so much again. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Alex. Really appreciate it. You guys do great work. Love following it. So great to meet you. Awesome. You too, man. All right, guys, there you go. Episode 39, Swimming Upstream. We will see you guys next time on the program. Peace out.